Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Scran. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and this week we're talking all things Scottish gin with Martin and Natalie Breed and Sean Murphy. As a gin lover myself, I don't often need an excuse to enjoy a G&T, but there's surely none better than International Scottish Gin Day, which this year is on Saturday the 24th of October. So tomorrow, if you're listening on the day Scran goes live. Set up last year by Natalie Martin of the Gin Cooperative, International Scottish Gin Day is usually a day where bars, restaurants and bottle shops celebrate Scottish gins with events. But this year it's not only taking place in October instead of August, but it will see us enjoying gin at home with a range of virtual events. Martin and Natalie discussed their inspiration behind taking the leap to set up the Gin Cooperative and why this led to launching International Scottish Gin Day. Every day Scottish Gin Day for us <laughs> at the Gin Cooperative. You know, we're laughing about that um, at the weekend, but we felt like the Scottish Gin category was strong enough to have its own day. And let's not just make it about, you know, Scotland, let's make it about everyone around the world experiencing and, and enjoying and discovering Scottish Gin. So there's something about a day in the drinks calendar that, um, you know, people love and love to just right okay I'm gonna get out the botanist today or I'm gonna get out the small craft gin that I picked up while I was visiting Scotland. Sean is back and discusses the rise in gin's popularity and how that taps into the brand of Scotch whiskey. In Scotland we've obviously been making whiskey for generations and people understand that provenance and, and you know they place great faith in it so I think that's translated to, to gin almost. This week I hopped on a group call to find out more about this day and the increasing popularity of Scottish gin. Martin and Natalie Reid of the Gin Cooperative and founders of International Scottish Gin Day explain how they went from keen drinkers of gin to being champions of the industry, setting up their own membership-based business back in 2017. I'm also joined by Sean Murphy, ex-Scotsman Food and Drink Editor, host of Top Gin Pod and author of Gin Galore, who discusses the gin boom and how it links back to Scotland at the beginning of its journey. To put it lightly, you could say this panel is mad about gin and all it has to offer. Today I'm joined by Martin and Natalie Reid of the Gin Cooperative and Sean Murphy, ex-Scotsman Food and Drink Editor and author of Gin Galore. Hi everyone, how are you? Morning, we're, we're fine I think. Yeah, all good. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Well thank you for joining me. We're just obviously here to discuss all things gin and International Scottish Gin Day. But if I can just go back to the start and ask Natalie Martin, what inspired you both to set up the Gin Cooperative? And for those that don't know, what is it? The Gin Cooperative is a membership-based business uh, that works exclusively with uh, Scotland's gin makers. It was established really to create a platform that helps showcase the stories of the people and the places behind Scottish gin. Really, it's consumer-facing. So as gin consumers, we felt like there was a lot of gaps in the stories, if you like. So we, we'd been supporting local and, um, and and trying to buy more Scottish gins um, you know, for years in the lead up to what we did. And 
we we felt like there was an opportunity to do something really different um, and and unique. And with Martin's background in um, in design and photography, you know, we felt like we we had something to offer. Um, you know, both both with content visually and and written. So that that's how it started. We we decided we just bit the bullet, and um, I came to a crossroads in my career a few years ago, and and. Um, and and yeah, we went for it. It took months to do all the research and build the website, but we got there in the end. And um, yeah, the rest, as they say, is is history. And what were you guys doing before? Like, were you working within that industry, or was it something completely different? It was completely new to both of us. I mean, we'd been drinking gin. I got into gin through Natalie's family. When I first met Natalie, uh, whenever you would visit her dad and her stepmom, it was just simply a case of here's a gin and tonic, whether you like gin or not. <laughs> And and over the years, every time we visited, it was just they had new gins, different gins, and I had a couple of people that worked at bars. And before a night out, it would always be a case of here, here's a different gin to try. So we just kind of got into gin through that way, didn't we? Yeah, we were really just gin fans. So not not coming from the industry at all. And Martin's been running his own design studio for about fifteen years, and I was in oil and gas, as everyone around about Aberdeen seems to be. Yeah, and, and really, I think we just felt like with the combination of skill sets that we had, that we, you know, we could we could do something different. And we weren't industry. Like, I know that sounds weird, but some people in our members and the consumers and people we work with, the partners we work with kind of like that sometimes, that we're we're independent, if you like. Um, so I, I guess... I think that's that's not worked against us, put it that way, not coming I, from industry. I think I think maybe in a way with not coming from a drinks background or a food and drink related background, it's kind of given us an opportunity to start afresh with how we approach things and how we talk about Scottish gin and you know, obviously our business model is quite unique as well. So I think I think it's got its positives and negatives. The the positives where we can do something different, we can approach things with a a, a different point of view. But I think some of the negatives were perhaps that who are these guys? What, what are these guys all about, you know? So we, we've had to work really hard and earn the trust of people within the Scottish industry. And, you know, you know, for us personally, it's been fantastic getting to meet so many great people. And there's all walks of life making Scottish. And, and that's part of the excitement and enjoyment about the category of the people as well as the products. Just a question for everyone why do you think the scottish gin market is so popular because it's been going on for quite a long time now and a lot of people say oh you know the bubble's going to burst but it's still going pretty strong i think well i would say what i find interesting for me um is you know scotland is obviously a land of um, storytellers and i feel that a lot of the stories that come through that you can see of these producers creating these uh, incredible gins are really important and they really come across and then the products that they produce but also they have you have this pedigree that in scotland we've obviously been making whiskey for generations uh, and people understand that provenance and, and you know they place great faith in it so i think that's translated to to gin almost but but where i really think it comes into it so is it's just as approachability you know that it's you can make it relatively easy with good skill if you, if you put a bit of effort in but also you know if you're drinking it you don't have to know all the rules you don't have to um have access to this great sort of knowledge like you do perhaps with like wine and occasionally with whiskey you know it, it's quite um open to to just being able to drink it yeah no i i couldn't agree more i think that it comes down to that kind of 
yeah, the accessibility thing. Gin is, it's it's relatively easy to drink, isn't it? I mean, I think there's a gin out there for everyone. We always see it, and I know it might sound like cheesy, but I think it's true. I think that although, yes, it should have a juniper, juniper prominence, I think that with all the botanicals that are out there, you know, and the range of, you know, whether it be floral or herbal or citrus or you know there is I think yeah that it's easy to sip on and the tie-in with Scotland for for us is yeah very much just what Martin already said and what Sean touched on is the people and, and the places and the passion um I think there's a heritage there yeah with distilling but storytelling absolutely as well and I think that Scottish food and drink is seen as a benchmark for excellence anyway and and so gin is definitely thankfully i think fallen into that same bracket um and and people look at it as a premium and a quality product long may it continue sean just to go right back to the very start of popularity of gin what do you think or what do you know to be that caused it to become so popular in the first place well i think uh watching it um grow from the start you know um seeing uh in sort of around about 2010 you know like the sort of first wave of um scottish gins i think they just captured the moment perfectly you know i think you had uh hendrix which was the real sort of trailblazer which began this idea of having almost like craft um gin you know mirroring the run with the craft beer sort of movement and you had people beginning to be really interested in these small batch products that were you know, different from the bigger, I mean, not so much in gin, but in beer, definitely, like, you know, homogenized brands that were all very similar. There was something that you could own about that, that you could be the first to access, you know, show your friends, and um, especially the idea of using, you know, normally, traditionally, it was like a lime or lemon wedge that people would use as a garnish, and they came out, Hendrix came out with this idea of having, you know, like a cucumber, a cucumber slice. Um, and it just gave you a little point of difference and just something different entirely to to, to talk about. And, you know, from there, you, you saw other ones like uh, Rajin, uh, Karun and stuff doing, just doing a little bit different. And I think people began to set up and take notice that, that Scotland were sort of leading the phone in that. And what I really liked early on in the Scottish scene was that they mirrored the Scottish whiskey scene and that they were quite content to work together, which maybe you didn't see so much down south, you know, that, a lot of these Scottish brands began to to band together and, and do different things, you know, um, and it really helped push the idea of Scottish gin as a bracket rather than, you know, just individual gins. And I think more people began to look for Scottish gins on their gantries or, you know, in the house. And it, it became a thing almost, you know, you, you were buying Scottish gins instead of other gins. So, yeah, it seemed to go down really well. Yeah, because I think it... You know, as much as, please correct me if I'm wrong, but Gordon's, Gordon's is Scottish, right? Because it's made by Diageo. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's moved up here to, I think it's just near Fife that they produce it. I believe in, yeah. Yeah. So the, I think nowadays it's about 70%, which I'm sure the guys will correct me on, but um, about 70% of all the gins made in Britain are now made in Scotland. And that's not just craft, obviously, that's some of the bigger brands, like you, you mentioned, you know, Gordon's. Uh, are being produced up here as well so I think it just brought a lot of that up here in-house I don't think it was a, a deliberate move by the issue. I think it was more just bringing everything together basically but yeah it kind of helped that idea that Scotland was a gin making powerhouse. Years ago um, my mum always drank gin and that it was Gordon's and it, it seemed like it was like a 
London thing. You know, you never thought about whether or not it was Scottish, but it, 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 but it is. And obviously that's changed over the last few years. And like you say, people are buying Scottish craft gins and are really into it. And we mentioned earlier with the popularity of Scottish gin, um, you know, the storytelling aspect and thing. But would you guys say that it's it's that kind of storytelling and also the range of botanicals that that creates the appeal of Scottish gins to people? I, I would say, I mean, it's a mixture of things that obviously, you know, consumers buy with their eyes. So uh, considering at the moment there's over sort of 450 individual gin expressions being made in Scotland, visually appealing, there's so many different bottles to choose from. But more than that, there's so many different flavour profiles. And, you know, I think the gin makers in Scotland have got a real skill and craft of taking the botanicals, you know, anybody can make a gin but not everyone can make a good gin and certainly from we found that you know Scotland's gin makers invest a lot of time and a lot of effort you know the, if, if it's not a good gin the consumer simply won't buy it you know and I think the fact that there's still you know there's over I think 140 gin brands the fact that these guys have came along they've established their businesses and they're still going is testament to the quality of their products but you know there's a lot of fantastic stories behind the brands as well and I think that's what people want to buy into. They want to feel connected to something, and you know whether that's a place name uh, on the bottle or whether it's a, a local folklore that a gin maker's tied into their product. That you know it's almost impossible to put your finger on one single thing. You know. Yeah, I was going to say one of the things I find really interesting is you know the idea of provenance and, and that real sort of like micro market of being able to tie um, these bottles to place as well. I think um, it's no great mistake that a lot of gins bear the names of small you know scottish areas that are tied to sort of romantic ideas of, of what that place is so you know it really helps that if you go that sort of tourism as well aspect that you, you can own a little bit of that holiday or that visit or even if it was part of your childhood you know that you not only can you buy a great gin but you can also buy into the idea that you're maybe supporting um, a small island community or a small highland community, you know, it, it, it's really important that these messages are being put forward and, and that's what, you know, comes through, that, that a lot of these stories, they aren't, you know, huge conglomerates or massive companies, you know, it's, it's, it's all small one or two person operations really supporting their local communities and I think that that, that really comes through. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And we see it all the time. I mean, I know even just like, Last night we put up a post about a, a space side gin, and you know you get people coming on and saying from the states or Canada or you know loads of places and saying, oh you know I visited when I was over in Scotland a few years ago. When will you be shipping to the US? Like fond memories of having holidayed here, and I think that like you say, it actually brings people back to Scotland. And and um, food tourism is a massive thing now, and even gin tourism is a is becoming its own thing as well. So. It definitely you can't help but tie you know the products into the places and I think that that can only be good for you know the producers but the you know the economy as well and, and I think as well when it comes to food and drink people want an experience so whether it's going to a nice restaurant or whether it is going to visit a, a Scottish gin distillery you know I think there's this concept of if people can have a positive experience at your venue or at your your distillery you know pick up a bottle of your gin, see where it's made, see how it's made, speak to the people that actually make it. I think it goes a long way to building that brand loyalty and, and sort of consumer following. Natalie and Martin, 
was it sort of the obviously the rise in popularity of gin but what was the main reasons behind um, setting up International Scottish Gin Day? To be fair, I mean, we just felt like, I mean, we, every day Scottish Gin Day for us <laughs> at the gym cooperative, you know, we're laughing about that um, at the weekend. But And I think we just felt like as much as there's a lot of people and you get all different types of gin drinkers, don't you? You get the real enthusiasts and you get, you know, people that just, just do it for a hobby. They've maybe got a few on their shelf now. They're starting a wee collection right down to people that are just discovering it. We felt like the Scottish gin category was strong enough to have its own day. I mean, like Martin said, you know, there's nearly 500 gins, there's over 150 brands now. And people were talking about Scottish gin, like it is this it's a category in its own right. And we just thought, let's not just make it about, you know, Scotland, let's make it about everyone around the world experiencing and, and enjoying and discovering Scottish gin. So I think as crazy as it sounds, like, you know, the gin cooperative is about doing that kind of every day, but there's something about a day in the drinks calendar that, um, mm-hmm. you know, people love and love to just, right, okay, I'm going to get out the botanist today or I'm going to get out the small craft gin that I picked up while I was visiting Scotland and enjoy it no matter where someone is in the world, you know? And obviously, I mean, we'd seen uh, Emma Stokes, uh, a.k.a. Gin Monkey, who established World Gin Day, you know, and we'd seen how, how the brands had engaged in that and how people, the public, had engaged with that. And we thought, why why doesn't Scottish gin have a day of its own? Uh, focused, focused on showcasing Scottish gin and create a day that commercially could provide an opportunity for the on and off trade to get involved. And that's partly what it's about as well. It's about giving bars and venues and retailers an opportunity, an excuse to say, look, we stock some fantastic Scottish gins, come to our venue experience scottish gin see what it's all about and and you know get get to know scottish gin i guess so obviously we can't talk about things like going out to bars and experiencing scottish gin without talking about coronavirus (laughs) so what can people expect this year like how how is it is it different i know you changed the date but um what can people expect or, or how can people celebrate you know in your eyes given coronavirus yeah i mean ironically we changed the date and we might have been better off leaving it in august you know but hindsight's a great thing and um, the bars were back then but you know it's it's one of those things i think we made the decision right at the start of lockdown in march ultimately it was the right decision but we're in a place now where yes there are restrictions we totally appreciate that and but it, it's it's like anything right now you know there are there's no reason why you can't discover and explore and enjoy Scottish gin on International Scottish Gin Day from home and you don't have to that doesn't mean you have to do it on your own either so as much as we encourage obviously the bars and Martin said retailers hospitality based businesses all over you know the world are are, are able to open their doors whether that's you know Mm -hmm. a a beer garden outside or whether that's you know socially distanced inside you know, they can still do that. But yeah. there are a lot of virtual events. So, you know, the Gin to My Tonic have a festival that, you know, they're they're sending out, teamed up with five Scottish gin brands. And, you know, there's 150 people due to, to be on that on Saturday night. That's a fantastic way to be social, you know, and actually feel like you're at a festival. You're obviously at home, but yeah. you're sampling some new Scottish gins potentially. And obviously you guys took part in the Jaro Design, Lanark, Big Lanarkshire 5, back in June well they're doing another um, celebration on Saturday the day itself and that's very much about 
local gins, local people, and another local business supporting their you know, their local gin makers. So um, there's all manner of things, a lot of virtual events for sure this year. There's an event in London as well, is there? Oh, Colonial Fawcett. Yeah, yeah, some of our supporters who we must give a shout out to have been absolutely amazing this year. These are people from the gin community that have really pulled together and showcased some of their favourite Scottish gins. But between competitions, live tasting events, yeah, there's all manner of things going on. But yeah, the Colonial Fawcett, they've even, they've banded together a few Scottish gins and, and you know, um, got the the bar on board with a tasting flight so their patrons can come yeah. in and, and taste some new, craft, like genuinely craft Scottish gins. So there's, there's an event section on the International Scottish Gin Day website. We can't put everything on there but we're doing our very best to keep up with what's going on. But for a lot of people, it'll just be a case of raising a G&T on the date, and that's absolutely fine, you know. Just post it and hashtag ISGD. (laughs) Um, And Sean, how do you think days like International Scottish Indie work for the industry? Like, Do you you see it as quite a a good support kind of mechanism? Yeah, I think it's absolutely brilliant. It really helps to be able to celebrate um, Scottish gin and really just put Scottish gin out there. Even just putting the idea, you know, international with Scottish gin really helps because it gives the idea that it's not just a three parochial market, you know, that it really is a global market and that people do really enjoy Scottish gin all over the world, you know, in places such as China, America, Germany in particular, you know, that, that, that you can enjoy and find um, our gins out there. So it's, it's a really nice touch. And I think it not only that, it ties into the community aspect so these people can join on this day and, and really get a sense of the community that, that we all enjoy you know almost sort of like daily basically in, in contact with a lot of these brands you know some of the smaller producers you can go and actually meet them on days like this or they'll be hosting events where you can go and talk to them the Jarrow Designs are a really great example that pulling together you know five for them local distillers and providing a, a sort of showcase you know it, it's, it's just a really great idea I think these things all they can really do is boost the community and, and really continue to push the idea that Scottish gin is great uh, in people's minds. No, that's just nice to be able to celebrate something as well, especially in kind of 2020. Uh, you've got something that you can enjoy, and I think that's really important. And, you know, and long may it continue. I think the guys have done a great job in, in creating it. And not only that, you know, sometimes it's easy to let these things slide they've really kind of pushed it and made sure that more and more people will join and and can join basically so it's a really great thing um and how since we since we mentioned the dreaded word how has coronavirus affected the industry for me i think the worst part of the whole thing is people not being able to connect with the industry through the people if that makes sense i mean i think you see a lot of what we were talking about earlier on the food and drink tourism um, you know, Scotland, since 2015, Scotland has really understood what Scottish food and drink is and the government's really got behind promoting and celebrating these small producers and you're seeing a lot of really great initiatives and projects um, such as International Scottish Indy springing up to, to really help and, and promote Scotland and I think it was bringing loads and loads of people to this country. You know, we're talking about whiskey tourism is a great, really great example. People were coming to go to distilleries. But the knock-on of that is that people were coming to gin distilleries. Um, you know, a great example would be Eden Mill, who have a lot of uh, gin tourism in the St Andrews area. Um, and sadly, they're they probably going to lose that revenue. But what you have seen alternatively springing up, you know, um, is a lot more interest in 
online tastings and people embracing the sort of virtual aspects, you know, there's Pixel Spirits have created a, a, a new gin school online where you can sit and watch your gin being made to your recipe. You know, Eden Miller really ran with the ball and created the tasting pack that they do, you know, that they send you out these gins. You have like a, a really brilliant sort of tour, around, virtual tour around the distillery. The guys talk about the history of their gin, you know, um, and you can try some of their gins and they talk about gin cocktails. Talk gin, we've done a podcast stuff, you know, they can uh, the virtual bar online and things. So it's, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting time. And what I'm really obviously sad to see is that loss of tourism. But what I'm happy to see is that, you know, it's got Scottish gin sort of taking it as a challenge to really work out how they can get out and, and really push the idea more. And obviously the online market's going to be big going forward and it seems like that's t- uh, taking a real boost. So it's it's nice to see that some maybe smaller gins have been able to sell their gins online to, to places they probably might not have reached before. Yeah, and it, and in a lot of cases, even direct to the consumer. I mean, just in the last you know few weeks, we've some, seen some gin brands that have never put themselves in front of the camera um, go online go on to Facebook or Instagram and do lives, you know, and these are, it's really putting these guys out of their comfort zone. And I think that that tells you something in itself. Just, just about every other gin maker in Scotland has done something virtually over lockdown and, and obviously since, um, whether it be yeah, tastings, making cocktails, doing virtual tours, doing gin schools. It's, I mean, really, if you delve deep enough, there's, there's so many fantastic online experiences. And as you say that, you know the downside to that is maybe you're losing that kind of um co- contact you know and, and that actual face to face but it's just i suppose that's just the way things are right now and i think that will return it will return mm-hmm. stronger than ever i'm sure the distillery experiences and um but i think it's you know you can take a lot of positives out mm-hmm. of what's happened and, and i think it's been amazing as well to see that obviously a lot of the traditional sales routes for gin brands are closed you know the the on trade the off trade and when the covid outbreak first happened and we all went into lockdown it was really amazing to see the number of producers that turned their hand to making hand sanitizer because there was a massive shortage and these guys really worked hard to support their local communities a lot of them were given away for free to frontline health services and care workers and you know they they really showed what it means to to, to run a business but also run a business with integrity and and, and do something positive for your local community. So I think a lot of these gin makers should be really applauded and, you know, given a pat on the back for everything they did. Yeah, I think that when when I first, you know, learned of that, I think it was just the start of lockdown. The guys at Twin River uh, had got in touch with me um, and they'd mentioned that that, had, that was a thing that they were doing, you know, and I was absolutely blown away. And I think when we did a story about it, I couldn't believe how crazy it went. And I think it just got summed up the idea that people suddenly sat up and took notice that you know that these gin producers were doing something interesting and, and really you know going out their way and I look for a lot of them it was it was all they were doing you know they weren't producing gin so they you know they were using up valuable stock to do this and like you say in many cases they were giving that away for free or selling at cost but you know they must have been sitting thinking we need to be selfless here and we're doing something really important and, and t- to see that was was incredible and it was just a real positive note that came through uh, and it, it created that connectivity again, you know, the, the idea that you could have this hand sanitizer, um, you know, being given to you from a, a local gin supplier that you might not even know have existed. It's just around the corner, you know, it, it helps society as a whole. So it's, it's really good. And this might be a difficult question um, and you probably get asked this all the time, so sorry, but 
Do you have a favourite Scottish gin or a favourite Scottish gin cocktail? Oh, no. <laughs> the actual genuine answer for me um, is I, I can't, I don't have one right now. I think I maybe used to be able to answer that, but there are just so many good ones out there just now. But what Cocktail, hands down for me, is a Negroni. Like, I've totally turned into a Negroni nerd, like, to the point where my vermouth, sweet vermouth connect collection um, and my bitters collection is pretty impressive alongside the, the Scottish gins. Yeah, I mean, there's a Negroni club that we got into over over lockdown, for example, that they run through Facebook. And in fact, they're dedicating October um, to, to Scottish gin. So tomorrow night, Kintyre Gin special guests is on Negroni Club. They're triple pack. A lot of the guys as part of Negroni Club, for example, have purchased that. And we're all going to sit and they've done a wee menu, you know, what to serve with every gin. So they're botanical, they're pink and they're leg yeah. biter, they're navy strength. Um, so like that's an example of, um, you know how just something that can be a simple cocktail, you know, really has turned into a bit of an obsession. And a <laughs> I, I think it's safe to say that's a bit of a cop out answer from that. Yeah, no. <laughs> you can answer this question. But, I mean, I I kind of go through phases. Like I'll enjoy a Scottish gin and I'll drink it for a week or two, and then I'll maybe go back and revisit something I tried before that I maybe didn't think I liked, and then I'll be surprised. But I mean, right now I'm probably enjoying. Hills and Harbour from Crafty. Uh, I'm back enjoying Karuna again, which I haven't drunk for a while. Yeah. Isla Harris is always a great one. Lusa. I'm really enjoying Ben Lomond at the moment. Uh, Esker, Esker Original. I'm really getting into Navy Strengths as well. And it's, um, you know, that in itself is such an amazing style to, to just discover. Um, and in cocktails in particular, they really stand out. So we did a Darnley's Taste over lockdown. Their Navy Strength is just so incredible um rock rose do a great one obviously seven crofts just came out with theirs oh kurt kavar there's there's so many yeah, we're looking we're well. looking up at our gin shelves here it's like <laughs> yeah i think i think that for me i think um i enjoy like you say just different phases like whiskey people always ask me you know what's your favorite it just it depends on what kind of mood i'm in but just now I've been enjoying uh just trying some new ones that I've maybe not tried before, you know, like LBD gin and that kind of stuff. And obviously Macintosh have just released some really interesting gins as well. And one of my old favourites, which I usually do go back to quite a lot, um, is NB Gin. Mm-hmm. They are uh, Navy Strength is is particularly good. So so yeah, I, I think there's just so many out there that, you know, you, your head gets turned every time. And you've mentioned You've both mentioned or all mentioned Navy Strength there, but having kind of sitting on the sidelines and, and watching the industry from my job, I've noticed a lot of flavoured gins come out in the last like year or so. Why do you think that is? Is it just kind of moving the sort of range along a bit, or do you think that it's like consumer demand has changed? Is this the the like what we like to call the gateway drug, essentially? So <laughs> it seems to be that. Some of them obviously not technically gins, the gin liqueurs, the twenty percenters are really interesting to me because they, they provide a sort of entrance point for people who maybe don't uh like that stringently juniper flavour. So give you something that um you can align with gin that can help you enter. And and what I've been interested by recently is that the entrance of some of these full strength flavoured gins, which are obviously helping elevate that and bring it closer to what people would traditionally call a gin and yeah i think it's maybe down innovation and, and trying to create things that are different and, and maybe more like your own you know if you can create a flavor combination that people associate with you then for example you know bow 
gin have absolutely cornered the ultraviolet market. That seems to be their, you know, signature. So you're seeing a lot more of that that people are trying to create innovative or, or, or things that are connected directly to them that they can, you know, connect to their original brand and hopefully bring people on board with the actual, you know, full strength juniper juniper Yeah. I mean we we've seen it a lot as well. I mean we Whenever we'd speak to consumers, they would say, "Oh, I really love that Edinburgh, uh, the Edinburgh gin, uh, rhubarb and ginger liqueur." You know, and we'd always say, "But it's not, a, it's not technically a full strength gin at the ABV." But you know, there's Edinburgh gin; they've released a number of flavored gins now that that meet that criteria, having a good bit of juniper in them, but also you know they are the correct ABV. So I guess you know the, the flavored gin market's been led by consumers. There's no two doubts about that. It's I guess people want to discover something new and something that maybe isn't traditional gin with the juniper. But, you know, I think hand in hand with that, there should also be that educational aspect from the brands that, well, here's what we class as being a flavoured or a fruit flavoured gin. But here's what also is a traditional gin. Here's what a juniper led gin should be. Uh, You know, discover both, enjoy both, you know. Uh Yeah, definitely. I mean, I personally think there is room for both, but I know there's sometimes the comments on twitter of you know a juniper led gin is not a gin and it shouldn't be made and things but i sort of feel like if folk are it's like the whiskey thing like if if it gets you into drinking gin then it can be a bad thing yeah it's it's a funny one i mean when you talk to a lot of the the gin nerds or even um you know some some people in the industry will say there is this argument about is is it do people really go on to drink gin as a result of starting i think and, but I think what's good is it's this middle ground now that's being created where the liqueurs that are less than about 7.5, that is. But there's definitely this new wave of full-strength flavoured gins. And, you know, I think I think that's great to see. And that's definitely been dri- driven by the consumer as well. Um, I mean, we're looking up on the shelves here and, and there is many, just about as many coloured bottles as there are, um, you know, the, the mm-hmm. traditional clear gins. So... Um, clearly, yeah, there is there is demand for it, and there's a lot of a lot of quality. So, um, yeah, long may it continue. Just giving people more choice, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting argument about gin nerds and traditionalists. Um, yeah. you know who pushed this? Um, which a lot of time you can see their their case point, and um, I think I've mellowed in in this sort of years of my journey, basically that you I can see that everything has its place, and you know, you just let people enjoy what they want to enjoy, and not get too stressed out about it because, I mean, there are some ridiculous orphans that shouldn't be there, but for the for the most part, it's it's a fairly a fairly low step on the, the 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 journey to to gin. And I do think that although their argument is that people maybe don't move on from there, I think there are quite a lot of people who do. Yeah. And I think that's important. I think it's uh, you want something shiny that will catch people's eyes and something sweet that will have them coming back to try different things. But if you're hopefully using juniper in these things then at least they're becoming accustomed to that flavor you know and it's not just a case of trying and then never drinking it again that they're actually being given the opportunity to to enjoy juniper flavor and hopefully go back uh, forward on a more gins absolutely yeah i feel like that should be the, ne- the name of your next book sean gin nerds and traditionalists <laughs> <laughs> so just to sort of uh, close up the podcast we have a quick fire round of questions which I think have changed since the last time I spoke to you, Sean. Okay. So uh, do you mind if I go with you first? Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so it's just a few questions to do with food and drink, and if you just tell me the first thing that comes into your head. So whenever I'm hungry, I think of... 
um, really dirty uh, takeaway food. (laughs) (laughs) Comfort food for me is? The dishes that my mum would have made, you know, like minced potatoes, uh, haggis, sneaks and tatties, you know, the traditional sort of Scottish dishes that you you crave when you go back home. My favourite childhood dessert is? Oh, that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. I'm I'm really, really bland when it comes to dessert, so I'd probably say that really nice uh, Italian sort of cafe ice cream um, that you get in most Scottish towns. The one in my hometown is just absolutely perfect. My food heaven is? Uh, anything Japanese um, or Mexican. So if you combine the two of them, that would be my food heaven. My food hell is? Uh, anything with goat's cheese or, yeah, just anything that's got that really earthy pungent flavour um, or truffles truffles oh can't just can't eat them uh, and natalie and martin i don't know do you want to take it turn about is that all right yeah of course go for it okay whenever i'm hungry i think of cheese <laughs> <laughs> comfort food for me I is i don't know i just think i just said that <laughs> uh, comfort food for me is uh, anything cooked by my mum <laughs> <laughs> my favorite childhood dessert is oh Probably jelly and ice cream or something like that. Yeah. My food heaven is? I'd have to say chicken Maryland. And my food hell is? Oh, food hell. Oh, there's not an awful lot I don't like. Anything <laughs> anything healthy? I don't know. <laughs> Salad, maybe? No. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for joining me. And uh, it was a great chat about gin. And I think we'll all be raising our Scottish gin on Saturday to celebrate International Scottish Gin Day. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. Since it's International Scottish Gin Day tomorrow, it would be rude not to make and enjoy a concoction of my own. Welcome back to my kitchen in Glasgow, where I'll once again be making a drink for myself. And as it's a classic and what I'll be drinking this International Scottish Gin Day, I'm going to make a gin and tonic, but with a slight difference. A few weeks ago, I spoke to Nick Donald of Montgomery Donald's Proper Drinks Co. about his DIY tonic range. Nick is passionate about delivering great tasting tonics and mixers while minimising the carbon footprint. His business is totally glass and plastic free and he doesn't even ship out liquids. Instead, customers are sent raw botanicals in cotton tonic bags and all you need to do is add some water and a choice of sweetener. So, I spoke to Nick over Zoom and we had a tasting and a chat and there will be an article up on the food and drink site. It's on its way, it should be there by now. Hopefully I'm talking to you in the future and I've actually finished writing it. So when I spoke to Nick for the tasting, he sent me ready-made syrups, which can also be used as a cordial, so you can add them to sparkling water and just have it as a really nice cordial. He's got four different types, um, all things nice, distiller's delight, lavender licious, and in the pink. They've all got different botanicals in them and you make them up as, as he has sent them to me. So you get sent a tin and in the tin, you'll find what looks like a tea bag. And the instructions are, measure out your preferred sweetener. So they recommend castor sugar or agave syrup. This is good for people who maybe can't have a lot of sugar or don't like really sweet tonic or want to be able to control their intake of certain things. So you could go honey as well. Then put a tonic bag and your sweetener in a large sealable container. Add 325 mils of water, shake well and chill for 24 hours. So when I was in the Zoom with Nick, he made it in a sort of soda stream type situation. So it's fizzy, it's sealed and that's you, you've got your own tonic, which is great and in different flavours. So I am going to use All Things Nice, which is their classic one. I'm going to make myself a gin and tonic. I have a bigger gin here and it's just going to simply be some ice. I'm going 
to measure out the sip that's been made. Add that to my glass along with the gin. And the fizz for this is going to come from fizzy water. Perfect Scottish gin and tonic. Cheers. Thanks to my guests, Martin, Natalie and Sean, and thanks to you for listening to this episode of Scran. Like any foodie, I'm always looking for that five-star review, so please rate, review and subscribe to Scran. Scran is a logical production and is available wherever you get your podcasts. But for immersive and interactive content, you can download the Entail app. Scran is presented and co-produced by me, Rosalind Erskine, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Morvan McIntyre. 